some brands are legendary. In every category, someone sets the standard, and some of them even have raving fans. Join Scott Wozniak and Jack Fussell, the CEO and CMO of Swaz Consulting, on a journey of discovery. How did the legends do it? And how can you become a legendary brand too? All right, Jack. So we got excited talking about brands that can do this, especially we told some stories of ones that uh, maybe are in the non-exciting, non-obvious category that I mean, they, they have an advantage here. But I, I think we should probably get one level deeper and say, well, how do you know if you are a legendary brand, right? Like, what's the difference? What, do we, what does that mean? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I think of is who is saying you're legendary? Because if it's <laughs> if it's the customers, one thing, but a lot of these are like, you know, like that old SNL skit where you're looking in the window and you're like, I am so good. You know, I'm good enough. That's and I think thing. a lot of brands are like, we're I've legendary. I've gone it. My customers like me, right? They love us. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and Google reviews, well, I don't know, but... <laughs> A lot of legendary brands think they're legendary, but yes. that is I think they're a legend in their own mind, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all know that guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ironically, I will tell you this. So, you know, we spent years studying legendary brands, and one of the one of the characteristics that is not predictive, but it is an interesting corollary, that when I got into it, you know, one of the things all these legendary brands told me, I'd come to them and say, hey, man, I want to spend some time with you. We spent years, millions of dollars traveling around, going inside other companies, learning how to do this stuff, right? And they all would say, yeah, I mean, we're glad to share what we got, but we're not that big. Like, we're still learning this. And the best in their field wanted to talk to me about all the ways they still needed to improve. Yeah. And so it actually became a red flag. If somebody was like, we got this, man, like we don't, we're amazing. We don't have anything we can learn. I'm like, yeah, let's ask your customers. Cause that's not how you get to be a legend. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's not self hype. It's about the customer. So what do you, what do the customers do differently? And so I'll tell you, we have three things. And when we've, our team's kind of gone through this, we have three ways we measure customers and what they do differently that makes them uh, a true raving fan versus just kind of a regular customer. And maybe that's the simplest answer to start with, Jack. A legendary company has raving fans. That's like, that's drop the mic. Let's go to the next episode. Like, <laughs> yes. And that is true. I mean, right now, if you want to know you're legendary, jump to your reviews. Okay. Don't jump to what your team is saying about you. Don't jump to your executive meeting and what, you know, VPs who are trying to climb the ladder are saying, let's go to your Yelp reviews, your Google reviews right now. If, if they're three stars, two stars, even five stars, but the words that, you know, are just, just there. Oh, we had a, we had a nice experience. It was a great meal. You know, we didn't die. Like if those terms are being used, <laughs> that's not legendary, but that's a really great way. A legendary brand has raving fans. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and even I would say one times we do this with brands, look at the difference in how they feel when they started and how they ended. Right. Oh yeah. Um, what's your churn rate? I mean, these are, these are real numbers you can latch on to. In fact, in effort to help you get even more specific, we'll name the three behaviors. Cause each of these has some sort of measurable aspect to it that allows you mm. to say, Oh, how are we actually doing? Not just, Oh, it's regular customers, but I think they smile really big. Then they must be raving, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, the first one couldn't be more basic to business raving fans buy more, more often. Yeah. Right. No. 
Jack and I are geniuses. We, uh, we figured this out. They spend more money, right? <laughs> so obvious, but I tell you so many times we run across the business and they don't have a number in mind, Jack, right? They're like, uh, more, how much, how much more, how much more often? Like what's, what's the revenue point or the engagement frequency and the details will be different for everybody. Cause you know, some, some companies have a you know, big construction project. They're not going to sign a weekly contract with each client. Right. But right. on a bigger deal versus uh, if you run retail, you might want them to come back every week or every month. And so your exact numbers might change, but if you don't have exact numbers, then how do you know? Right. And, and you could draw a line in the sand and say, here's the purchasing behavior. Here's the pattern that would indicate raving fan versus just regular customer. Yeah. Yeah. And engagement goes with that, you know, on, on anything you do social or anything, you know, if you're just putting stuff out there and no one's engaging with you, that's not a, I mean, that's not a raving fan at that point. Chick-fil-A saw that years ago, right? I mean, who in the world would have ever believed that a restaurant could sell their advertisements from billboards in a calendar and people would go buy it? Yes. What other brand can take and sell their, their advertising to someone and people are paying to be advertised to in their own home because they were such fans of the brand. They wanted a piece of it to go home with them. That... And for the record, those cow calendars are hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't, yeah. Even though I worked there for a while, I still bought them before and after because they're just so, yes, we would buy their advertising. It's yeah. so, so raving fans buy more, more often. They engage more, more often. They're not just sitting around. Okay. So there there's activity you can measure. Then the next behavior. Oh, by the way, let, let's pause because this is we're start. We'll get into the tactics in a minute, but I can't resist the mindset shift, right? If you want this, the answer is not to try harder. Everybody, you, you're going to hear this hype speeches and motivational stuff, and like the solution is squeeze tighter, and you should care more. And frankly, uh, that's not what Jack and I are ever going to tell you on this. We're gonna our guests. We're gonna come in. We're never going to talk about. T- tell me, tell me how much you care, right? You bleed this stuff, right? We assume you care or you wouldn't be listening to the podcast podcast for people who already care. So we want to talk about how, if you want to get them to buy more often, the solution is not care more. It's design a different customer experience. Specifically, I would say maximize the post transaction feeling. And too often the the peak is at the point of sale. You know? Yeah, that's so true. Oh my gosh. That's so true. And then it's like, well, just don't screw up, right? Like get them hyped, get their money, and let's try not to make them mad. Um, it's not bad, but you're not going to get raving fans with that. Yeah. That makes me think of that old joke or something where it's like the wife is like, my husband never tells, you know, she's telling, talking to the husband, you never tell me you love me anymore. And he's like, well, I told you at the beginning and unless it changes, I'll tell you again. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you might not get divorced with that, but um, <laughs> you're not going to have a hot weekend either. Right. Yeah. But that's the approach a lot of businesses take. They're like, well, I yes. got the deal. I sold it now. I, and, you know, we I did, and we didn't insult him. Right. Like. <laughs> Like yeah, exactly. done, nailed it. No, no, no. It needs to build so that back back to the marriage analogy, your partner loves you even more now than the day you got married. You got to keep dating that person. You got to keep pouring into them, right? Yeah. Okay. So so buy more and more often. Design post sale touches to build to this this peak moment is afterwards where they're like, I got to go get more. That was even better than I thought. Yeah. It's not. 
it's not hard. Again, we'll show you tactics in a minute, but you see this shift. It's not care. It's not care. It's not just like you should really try hard. Like, no, no, you got to set the plan up so that you have things you offer them later. All right. So buy more and more often. The second one is that raving fans pay full price. I mean, this is not about being the cheapest, right? Yeah. And that's where so many brands struggle and they fall apart. You know, we were at the mall recently which that statement alone is like, what? You were at the mall? There still is a mall in here. <laughs> yeah. We were at the mall recently and we were walking through, I don't know what store it was, but one of the big department stores that was like a ghost town. Mm. And the place was just filled with 25% off, 40% off, 30% yes. off. And my daughter, she's 22. And she asked me, she's like, why do you think these stores are so empty? And I said, because those signs, mm. they made it about the price point. They're not about the experience. You can go to New York and go to Saks or Bergdorf Goodman or somewhere. And there's no 25% off sign in those places. No, they, you're paying 25% more yes. and you gladly do it because the experience is so amazing. So you're right. I will gladly pay full price for, you know, a, a great phone or a great vacation to Disney. There's so many things that I will yeah. I easily pay full price for. Well, I, I do this sometimes when I'm giving a keynote. So we'll do this with you live listeners going through this. Like think of the brands you love, right? Who you're a raving fan of? What do you get excited about? What are the stuff that you love in your life? Now, pause, load a couple of those examples up in your head. The, the people you think are the best of the best. Like, the, Let me say, not just technically the best. You personally get emotionally engaged and do everything you can, right? Are any of them the cheapest in their category? Are any of them like price driven? They go all like... In my experience, I've done this thousands of times across, you know, all over the world, put hand up in the air, ask people, nobody literally did this uh, two weeks ago. It was 300 people out at a retreat thing and I, put your hand up if it was the cheap one and nobody put their hand up. I said, put your hand up if they were like maybe the most expensive in the category and almost the whole room put their hand up. It's not about price. In fact, we can talk about how and the tactics later in coming episodes, but let's just get this clear. The, the problem is this, your price tells a story and your marketing tells a story. And if they don't tell the same story, then you lose credibility from both. Your price erodes the, the statement, hey, we're premium and we're awesome. We're good. We're valuable. We, you should buy us. That's all about the quality of the experience you're going to get. And then your price says, but we're cheaper than everyone else. The story that's telling you is we're not as valuable. Yeah. Right? We're not really as valuable as it seems, right? It's 25% off that that it's psychological, like it's subconscious, right? It's not, people don't say it out loud, but what that says to us, oh, this is really not that good. Yeah. And, and I would say there's two basic ways to win in business. You can win by being the cheapo who wins on volume, right? You can be the uh, the Aldi's or Walmart grocery. You can be McDonald's, right? Dollar menus and may just be everywhere. Or you can go be Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, right? And yeah. And, and both of those can exist and will exist in every market. There's the, yeah, yeah. if you want to be the cheap guy, you know, maybe you should stop listening to this podcast because we, <laughs> we, we don't really care. We don't want, we want to help you not be that guy. So yeah. if that's your business plan. Good luck. Go find another podcast. Find, find the be average podcast. Um, that's those guys are going <laughs> to help you. Awesome. It's going to be great. Right. We are the B premium podcast, right? We're the be a legend category in which people line up to pay you at least as much, if not more than all your competitors, because you're awesome. That's what, yeah. 
And again, it's happening in fast food. Bucky's, nobody. We talked about Bucky's last episode. Nobody looks at the price when they see Bucky's. No, no, not at all. And, and every other gas station, the only way I pick it is the price, right? I look around whoever's closest, and then I check the prices out, and I go to the lowest number. And then yeah. I see the big beaver on their logo, and I'm like, I don't really care. I'm just going to Bucky's. They can charge yeah. me anything they want. It's not anything, right? At some point, it breaks for a million dollars a gallon. I'm not going to Bucky's. Probably um, not. Yeah, I'm unless you get free jerky with it. So that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so <laughs> million dollars in free jerky. Uh, <laughs> Bucky's, if you're listening, Jack and I can be bribed with jerky. Just, Apparently, yes. <laughs> just want to let you know. That's on the record now. Um, yeah, it's not about price. It's about value. It's about creating an experience that is worth it. And yes, you always have to figure out your price and you can't just do anything you want. Like price and strategy are always tied together, but... But man, well, that's the thing is you have to deliver on the price, you know, yes, Ritz, Car yes. Ritz Carlton does not run coupons. Uh, you've never checked in. Oh, let me grab my 25% off coupon at the Ritz. But they also it's not a Motel 6 when you walk in the room either. Like they have to deliver on it. But yeah, they these premium brands, which I love. I mean, I'm addicted to I mean, one time. You'll you'll appreciate this, Scott, because you and I have wives who know better what we should wear than we do ourselves. Um, <laughs> and one time I was at Banana. Yeah, I was at Banana Republic one time and I found this shirt on the clearance rack and I was like, honey, I love this shirt. I think it'll look great on me. And she's like, sweetie, there are 45 of the same shirt on the clearance rack. That means no one wanted that shirt. Like it is <laughs> on a really low price now because literally no other man in the area wanted that shirt. Put yeah. it back. Yeah, you know, exactly. So. What does that tell you? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm like that. Everyone else is terrible fashion sense. They have horrible taste. Yes. Nearly. <laughs> my, I, my wife and I still talk about the silk shirts from the 90s that she threw away. And I'm like, come <laughs> on. Those were so cool. Yeah. Uh, I, Jack, I had a gold silk shirt. Not yellow, gold silk shirt. I mean, it was... It was fly, man. And when we got married, my wife was like, and donated. Uh, <laughs> She's like, why did I marry you? I'm second guessing this right now. <laughs> so, yes, it was, uh, it was despite our fashion sense. So yeah, there, the clearance story tells you a story, right? The price point is a part of the factor. So figure out how to show up in a way that's premium. You don't win them by being the cheapest. In fact, the more you discount, the harder it is to tell the premium story. So they pay full price, right? They buy it. They buy more and more often. And the third might be uh, the biggest at most epic thing about raving fans. Those are business valuable. Those first two. And they're dwarfed in my mind by the third one, which is they tell others to buy from you. Wow. I mean, this is where customers create customers who create customers who like, that's the exponential curve that everybody's chasing, right? That's what we all dream of. It's like, Oh, that's how you, that's how you become these unicorns where you're like, I mean, the overnight success, right? Their customers bring them customers, bring them customers and, and you go nuts. I mean, it gets really good. This is the ultimate measure of whether somebody is truly loves you or not is do they tell other people about you? That's true. That's true. I mean, if you have a great meal, you're going to tell someone about it. You know, if you and I are chatting, you're like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, oh my gosh, we had sushi at this place. That was just, oh my gosh. And I go on and on. That is, you know, the same way when you're dating someone, you know, go back to those days, which for you and I was quite a while ago, uh, <laughs> hopefully uh, quite a while ago. So, um, you know, if, if you're like, 
you, you and I talk every single week and then I found out you've been dating someone for six months. Mm, yeah. There may not be much magic there, buddy. That's exactly um, right. That's exactly Because when you right. meet that person, when I met my wife, I could not shut up about her. Mm -hmm. I would call people I, didn't, I hadn't talked to in forever. Dude, you won't believe, you know, partly it's because I was wearing a silk shirt in the 90s and I couldn't believe she actually would, you know, want to go out with me. What kind of moron would do that, Jack? I don't know, <laughs> man. <laughs> Ladies just didn't get it. They didn't catch on. Um, yeah, but was... you don't have to, the thing that you love, I've, I've learned this from my kids. I've learned this just from life is if you love something, no one has to tell you to talk about it. Yes. You just naturally do. And those are the brands, the musicians, you know, the Taylor Swifts. Those are the things that happen when you just literally cannot stop talking about it. Yes. That's a legendary experience. And to our point earlier, the previous time, guys, I've, I've heard people riff about electricians, right? Or, um, gosh, the car repair shop that I use. And I mean, they, this doesn't have to be, uh, gosh, I'm not Taylor Swift. I can't get people to talk about me. And like, no, no. I know. I ran across a guy who's a hand surgeon in Florida. And I was in a CEO room. I was like, who are you a fan of? And they're like, oh, my hand surgeon, this guy's amazing. And I'm like, that is a really odd niche. And then when he started talking about it, half the room of CEOs, there were like 40 people in this, this retreat I was leading. Half the room was like, oh, Dr. Dr. Smiley's the best, man. He did my hand, he did my hand. And I was like, holy cow. They're like, oh, how did you meet this guy? And they're like, literally, I was wearing a sling, like a, a wrist bra brace, that's the word, a brace. And I was in the grocery store and somebody's like, you got a brace. You got to meet my hand guy. Like this guy will fix all your problems. People raved about their hand surgeon. Like it's That's not crazy. just for a few. Um, now, not only is that the single best measure, man, it doesn't get more valuable than that. Right. This is where this yeah. is like with Chick-fil-A when customers pay you money to put your advertising in their house. Right. Like, Yeah. Like, that's when, you know, crazy town, how much value and growth comes out of this. Sadly, most companies I know are stuck in this scenario where they're like, they have to sell a certain level just to keep up with the churn of customers they're losing. Yes. Right. Their, their natural decline of customers is what that that's normal business for us. Most for us, I mean, most American businesses, right? Most customers don't stick around and you're constantly having to replace. What if it was flipped? And it was like, most of your customers bring you customers who bring you customers who like, and you're, I got to tell you, so I worked at Chick-fil-A, the job I ended up having was help us figure out how to manage all this growth. Like we just continually have to upgrade the way we run the company. So my yeah. title was organizational effectiveness consultant. They sent me around the world to go learn how the best do it. Cause every two or three years we had to rethink some part of the company because we outgrew the old system. Last year was their 36th year in a row of at least 15% growth. They've had better wow. years, but at least 15%. They roughly double every five years in terms of overall volume. It's bananas. Yeah. And that's, and they, by the way, I, I don't want to share all their insider stuff, but like they spend significantly less on advertising than all their competitors do in a percentage rate, right? Why? Because dang it, their customers do the best advertising that there is. Yeah, because I don't know the numbers. Maybe you do. But I mean, I know they say, you know, if you're doing advertising, I think, it, what, seven, seven to 10 times that you have to engage a brand yes. through that? Yes, that's right. But what is what is it if you recommend it to me? Oh, like it, what? it's literally one time. Like you're yes, like one time. You're recommending. And the seven to 10 times makes me aware of you. Your one adamant recommendation actually is likely to make me do it. 
It's yeah, that's crazy. Insane. And then there's going to be a feedback loop because I can't talk to a billboard, mm-hmm. but I can call you and be like, dude, we went to Bucky's last week. Mind blown. Oh my gosh. And then it's going to make me because now there's a learned behavior. Yeah. Of, uh, oh, Scott shared it with me. Everyone wants to be the cool guy, right? The guy, oh, yeah. I got a guy. You know, oh, I need a hand guy, a hand surgeon. I got a guy, yeah. you know, and then you could end up calling everyone because Scott told me about Bucky's, and then I'm on the phone with my father-in-law or my brother-in-law mm-hmm. or my mom or whatever. Hey, you got to go by, you're going to Florida. Oh my gosh, you got to go by Bucky's. So it's that, that difference alone. Wow. Just the amount of revenue, additional revenue, plus how much, you know, lack of churn you're having to to compensate for. So those yeah, two numbers, that is a significant play. Yeah, either one would be good. Combine those two. You, you, they don't leave and they bring you more people. Yeah, your problem is not going to be, which is so weird to most people, but your problem is not going to be how to grow the business. You're going to spend most of your time trying to figure out how do we keep up with our customers who keep wanting us to do more and more. Yeah. In fact, let me... Let me give you an example that is a Chick-fil-A story from the Chick-fil-A lore and history. So, um, so as you don't know, if you're international, Chick-fil-A is a chicken restaurant, a kind of fast food, uh, fried chicken salads, all that kind of stuff. Well, and they try to be a more premium player, right? Well, one of their big competitors, Jack, do you remember Boston Market? The oh, yeah. Yeah. Chain? I, I actually personally enjoyed them a lot. I was young and just starting out and didn't have a lot of money and I could get a decent meal for basic prices. I mean, Boston market was awesome. Well, so Chick-fil-A and Boston market in the eighties were both starting to take off. Well, Boston market said, we're going to go buy all our customers. We got a ton of investment. They, they got a bunch of money come in, went public, got a bunch of big investors and they started opening like 500 locations a year. Like we're just filling the world. This is going to be epic. We're going to win. And, and the Chick-fil-A guys actually were starting to stress out about this. They're trying to keep up and they went like 20 to 50. They tried to open a hundred locations one year and they were like, it was straining their ability to show up and blow their customer's mind. Right. Cause they were mm. so stretched thin by all this. And so they're like, we got to get more money. And, and this is in the eighties when interest rates for borrowing money were just out the roof. Like there was a savings and loan crisis and the money was nuts, right? So very expensive to buy. They couldn't just do it. Like, are we going to loan more money? And how hard is this? And we're already like on the road all the time, the core team that set everything up. And so they were having this big debate. Like we got to get bigger if we, and the, the, what was driving them was this competitive thing. We got to keep up with Boston market right? Because they're going to buy the market. They're going to go out there and be in front of all the customers and they're going to get bigger. And we got to get bigger and we got to get bigger if we're going to win. And and Truett Cathy, the founder, so he he was generally not um, over the top aggressive. Like he was a pretty low key, friendly guy. I mean, he was a hard worker, but he was not, he's not a shouting boss, right? But they're, they're debating the executive team is getting more and more worked up and he's just kind of sitting back in his chair and he just starts listening and he's thinking, Finally, he just interrupts the thing, slams his hand on the table, and he's like, that's it. That's enough. Listen, we are not going to chase bigger for its bigger sake. We're going to get better and let our customers demand that we become bigger. Wow. And that has been a mantra that drives Chick-fil-A and I think all the legendary brands. Play the long game. Wait a few years. Be amazing in your customer experience now. And they will bring you so much business that growth will not be your problem. But if you chase growth for growth's sake at the cost of your customer experience, well, well, this is the cautionary part of that tale. Boston Market did sweep the nation. 
don't know, Jack, when's the last time you've seen a Boston market? When's the last time you've been to one? I was literally just looking it up on my phone because I'm like, I don't, do they even exist anymore? That is the question. Technically they do. They've got a handful of locations. That's about it. That's they, about it. They crashed hard. Why? Because they got so big, got a lot of attention, but they did not have the people or infrastructure to stay consistently awesome. The customer experience got wobbly and got weird. Yeah. And then we were all like, ah, I don't know. And they were already highly leveraged, you know, all this debt to grow and they collapsed on themselves. So somebody did buy the brand and there are still some locations scattered once in a blue moon. I'll be like, holy cow, there's a Boston market. But I don't know any near me. No. I don't know any in the Atlanta area. Where, yeah, I don't know when I've seen one. I've, like I've seen one in uh, Texas, right? Like that's, there's a couple of scattered spots, but that's it. So yeah, it's, it's dangerous. It's tempting to chase, Hey, go grow. And then we'll figure out how to make a great experience. Flip it, make a great experience. And that will create a tremendous amount of growth for you. That's huge. That is a great lesson. Thanks for spending some time with us on your journey to legendary. If you enjoyed this episode and want more content like this, you may want to sign up for our newsletter. You can do that and learn about all the ways we are helping leaders build legendary brands at swazconsulting.com. That's www.swozconsulting.com. Greatness is possible. You just have to build the right engine.